Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, as Daniel was reading from Genesis 2, that's where we'll be today. Uh, so I invite you to turn there in, in your scriptures. If you don't own a Bible, um, we put Bibles under the seats around you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our free gift to you. Please take that home. We want you to have a copy of, of God's Word. Um, and so our goal for today, I just, I'll just kind of say a couple things up front. I was thinking as we were singing um, earlier, inviting the Holy Spirit to come, um, that that's actually a, a risky request. And, and what I mean by that is if we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come, we're not just inviting him into like this room, right, the four walls. What we're inviting him into is actually our hearts. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit reveals, illuminates, shines light, exposes, and draws back the curtains on things. And so I don't know if you've ever been in, in a worship service where like, all of a sudden this emotion began to well up or this hurt began to well up and you're like, where did that go from? That's the Holy Spirit working and unveiling and bringing things to, to the surface. And so that's our, our prayer today. And I would say this in terms of where we're going in God's word today, we're gonna be looking at um, really this idea of God's law and how um, our misconceptions about God's law oftentimes play into how we see God, um, our choices to obey God, and my hope for today is that the Holy Spirit would, would illuminate the true heart of God's law, that we would leave here today with a better understanding of God's law. And rather than seeing it maybe as a burden or an obstacle to get around or an obstacle to endure, we would see it as beautiful and life-giving something that leads us to what is good. And that's where we're headed this morning. If you're visiting with us, we've been in a series together looking at the book of Genesis and God's good design that we would better understand what God meant uh, for creation and what he meant for our lives. And, uh, and we're getting close to the place in the story where we mess everything up and everything gets distorted. So next Sunday, we're gonna come back and really look at how things go off the rails and some of the distortions now in the way we see the world. But in church, we use words like redeemed, uh, reconciled, uh, recovered. And so it's really important for us to look at God's good design so we know what he's redeeming us to, what he's reconciling us to, what is the reparative work he's doing in creation and in, in our lives. Like God's working in your life, but what is, he, what is he aiming at? What is he calling you to and what is he restoring you to? And so... For all those reasons, this is the series that we're in. And so far, we've seen that the purpose of mankind is to um, ultimately bear the image of God, uh, to be fruitful and multiply, uh, to steward uh, creation well, uh, to till the soil, and to protect it. So this is before the distortion. This is before disease. This is before depression and anxiety and hatred and evil and murder this is before everything gets messed up. But what we have now in the garden is this tree. We're going to look at this together. Let's start in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've got these two trees here, tree of life and the tree of knowledge 
of good and evil. That's a really important word, knowledge. This is not an evil tree. This is a tree that has something to do with the knowledge of good and evil, access to good and evil. And so at this point in time, Adam has no knowledge of evil. All he knows what is what is good. And so now in verse 15, we'll look together. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded. So here's the law. The law of God for Adam and Eve is this, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That's the law. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the law is, don't eat of this tree. He didn't say don't eat. He said don't eat of this tree. Matter of fact, you can eat from any other tree. Anything that is pleasant and good to eat, Adam, go for it. Here's the law, just don't eat from this one. The consequences will be this, you will surely die. And so we, we think about what it means to hear a law or a command or a rule, and the way that we learn about rules, I think oftentimes impacts the way we see God's commands, okay? So our first acknowledgement of rules in this life came from a parental figure, right? You were given rules, boundaries, do this, don't do this. And for most of us, actually I would say for all of us, we'll say most of us, if not all of us, rules from, from the onset were an obstacle between you and what you wanted, right? You can't go out and play unless you clean your room. So the rule was clean your room or you don't get to, what was the consequence? You don't get to go play. So the thing I want is to go play, but there's this obstacle in my way, this rule, and I have to obey it. And if I don't obey it, I don't get what I, what I want. I mean, think about that as parents. How many times do we give good rules to our children, right? But they see them as obstacles. Enter the eye roll and the sigh. <sighs> Which is a way of saying, I don't agree with your rule. Your rule is in my way. But because you're bigger than me and you pay the bills, I'll do your silly rule so I can get what I want. <sighs> That's how we learn about rules. There are obstacles between what we want and, and where we are. And then we get older and we get driver's license and we start driving. And now there's this whole new set of rules that also seem to be obstacles between me and what I want. I want to drive faster, but there's this sign that says I shouldn't drive faster. So I'm going to slow down. It's in the way. Some of you are like shaking your head, and I like that rule. Good. I will like that rule a lot when my oldest becomes 16. But the perception is that all these rules, all these laws just keep getting in the way between me and what I, what I want enter your relationship with God. And so we take these preconceived notions of the idea of rules and laws and commands, and then we superimpose it on God's law, and we begin to see God's law the same way. It's just an obstacle between me and what I, what I want. For some of us, we take that and we run with it. Uh, we head headlong into self-righteousness and everything we can do for ourselves to make ourselves as holy as we can, and we obey God's law. We begin to like give ourselves awards for our obedience. And others, others of us, 
you know, take a more rebellious route. How much can I get away with without getting caught? Right? How much can I fool you into thinking I'm obeying God's laws without you really knowing I'm disobeying God's laws? And we'll take, we'll take that perspective as well. But for most of us, if we have a skewed perspective of God's law, really here's what's at the, at the heart of it. I'm willing to endure this for what is to come. Okay, I'll do my best to obey your laws, God, for what? For what I get in return. What I get in the end. What is to come. I will endure the burden, the annoyance, the frustration, the shame, and the guilt of your laws as long as I know something good is coming. And that's the very perspective that I am praying God will change in us today. We think about what the law meant for Adam and for Eve, and I think it's super clear in, in the name of the tree. It's the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at the heart of it, what God was desiring to do as a loving father were really two things. One was to protect Adam and Eve from evil. That's a good thing, right? Don't we pray that in the Lord's Prayer? Deliver us from evil, protect us from evil. We try to protect our kids from evil, and we ask God to protect us from evil, and essentially that's embedded in this law. God gives Adam and Eve a law, right, that was meant to, A, protect them from what is evil, and it's not just the tree of the knowledge of evil, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what? Keep them in what is good. Now, now that things are distorted because of the fall, we aren't kept in what is good. We exist in a world that's broken. So now what we need is God to lead us to what is good. And so we begin to walk through an understanding of God's law for our lives today. And this is where we're going to go today. Because see, the essence of God's law hasn't changed. That is what God's law is meant for in his kingdom. To protect us from evil and lead us to what is good. Let's start with this idea of protecting us from evil. In Romans chapter 7, the book of Romans is very insightful on this topic of the law and sin and disobedience and even righteousness and grace and forgiveness. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, we read these words. What then shall we say? The Apostle Paul's writing this. That the law is sin. So Paul's writing a letter. He's having this conversation about where, where, we, where we have more of the law or we see more of the law. You're going to see a whole lot more sin. Because the law reveals where things are wrong. So you got law, it's going to shine like a light on sin. You're going to see more sin. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So Paul is seeing this. the law is, is a good thing. It shows me where sin is. For how would I have known what is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet? And so as Paul looks at the law of God, he's seeing it as a good thing. And one of the things that he says is good about the law is it shows me where evil is. It'll even show me where evil is in my own heart, in my own life, this thing that we call sin. And so Paul is, and if you'll read the rest of this chapter, Paul's going to talk about his wrestling with the flesh and wrestling with wanting to be led by the Spirit and just this torment that he has experienced. And, and on the front end, what he's saying is like, the law isn't bad. The law can, right, we can feel guilty after 
reading the law, we can feel some sense of shame, but the law isn't bad. It's actually meant to protect us from what is evil. How else would we know what evil is? If God hadn't given us a law to shine like a light on evil. So the law reveals, I think we have a slide for this, what is evil. But we also see that the law is meant to expose good. And I'll never forget the first time I read Psalm 19. Never forget it. And and maybe I had read it before, but I don't remember ever reading it before the time that I'm thinking about in my mind and describing my mind. Psalm 19, especially starting in verse 7, caught me off guard because of the way that the psalmist describes God's precepts, his commands, his laws, his rules. And I'm like, I've never thought of God's rules this way. Now listen to how the psalmist describes God's law. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Listen to this. Rejoicing the heart. The commands of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together so I was there's several different phrases there and the front half of each phrase I was familiar with okay so the idea of the law of the Lord is perfect okay I was I believe that the testimony of the Lord is sure that's right yep the precepts of the Lord are right okay I'm good with that the fear of the Lord is clean we could unpack that but yes I'm on board but the second half was what caught me off guard okay so the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul I had never seen God's law that way, that it would bring revival to my soul. I always thought that the law was the obstacle. The law brought condemnation. It was, it was meant to make me feel guilty, not to revive my soul. The testimony is sure, of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Before that moment, I could, couldn't remember a moment where I ever read God's law or thought about God's commandments in a way that caused my heart to rejoice. And so this began to shift my paradigm on my understanding of the commands of God. And then verse 10 says this, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, they keep me from evil, and in keeping them there is what? Great reward. So it's not just that God's laws are meant to protect me from evil, that's part of it, but they're meant to lead me to, according to the psalmist, great reward, to lead me to what is good. James writes about this in the New Testament a lot. In James chapter 1, he he begins to describe um, a congregation of Christ followers, a church where they get up and they read God's word, his laws, Um, and like a mirror and then they quickly forget what they saw and walk away he says like if that's you then you're just being a hearer of the word you're not actually being a doer of the word and he says this in verse 22 but be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving yourselves 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Listen to verse 25. This is so powerful. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, don't think of this as a, as, a, as a bargaining chip with God. God is not saying, if you will obey my commands in exchange, I'll give you some good stuff. What James is saying, what God is saying through James is this, that when we seek to obey God's love, it leads us to blessing. It leads us to what is good. So the essence of the law hasn't changed. What God meant for Adam and Eve, he still means for us today. There's some other ideas that help us to understand the the law of God, and next I want to go to Leviticus. Leviticus is an Old Testament book, and it's it's drenched with law. A lot of of just hard stuff to read in the book of Leviticus. If you've ever read through the Bible or attempted to read through the Bible. If you've ever attempted to read through the Bible and you got bogged down, it was probably Numbers or Leviticus, but Leviticus is normally the spot where you're like, oh, this is just, it's hard reading. A lot of law. I want to read a little bit from Leviticus 19, starting in verse 1, about the understanding of God's law and what, what it's meant to do for us. In verse 1, uh, excuse me, yeah, verse 1, Leviticus 19, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. Okay, so the idea of holiness is to obey God's commands, right? As, 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 a, as a being who is holy, you obey commands. So he says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall, listen to this, now he's going to talk about commands, revere his mother and father. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods cast of metal. I am the Lord your God. And so he's, the author's writing about the commandments, right? Honor your mother and your father. Don't, don't make idols for yourself. But the essence behind that is this idea of be holy. Why? Because I am holy. And what we see that the, that the law does for us is it begins to expose and reveal the actual character of God. How can I be holy? How can I even know what holiness is unless I know what not holiness is? You see where this is tracking? How can I have a knowledge of the holy unless I also understand and have a knowledge of what is not holy? Disobeying God's law. Adam, if you eat of this tree, if you disobey my law, you will surely die. The law isn't meant to kill you. The law is meant to protect you to keep you in what is good and protect you from what is evil. And God is calling us as image bearers to be holy like he is holy. And how do we know what holiness is? We look at the law. And the law begins to reflect to us who God himself is. You want to know what the character of God is like? Read his laws. The law reveals the character of God. I'm going to have two more stops along the way as we begin to now think about in the New Testament what the New Testament says about God's law. Um, the book of Hebrews is a fantastic New Testament book. 
Um, we aren't certain who the author is, so we just call it Hebrews. Um, otherwise, we would more likely give it uh, the, the title of the author. Some people think it was Paul. Um, some others think it one of the other disciples. Um, but the point is this that I would make today is the book of Hebrews is a really good, helpful commentary on the Old Testament. Because really, it's, it's thick with references to the Old Testament, quotes from the Old Testament, explaining the Old Testament in light of Christ. Hebrews 10 is profoundly helpful in not only understanding the law, but understanding Christ's role in fulfilling the law for us. So in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 1, we read this about the law. So the author says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So two things are going to come out of this. On one hand, the author is thinking about the Old Testament law, um, specifically um, the Levitical law, um, the means by which uh, we become clean after we've disobeyed the law. So God gives the law, we break the law, then God gives us additional law and instruction on how to, clean our, how to get clean. This is where the sacrifices come in, right? The, the slaughtering of animals, the shedding of blood as a, as a representation of our repentance and, right, the, where, there is, where, where the law is broken, there must be bloodshed. If you break the law, you will surely die. And so the book of Leviticus contains this law that helps us know what to do with our sin and so what the author is saying about that specific law is this that that law was a shadow of the good things to come not the realities themselves that somehow what we saw in the the law is a reflection of something that's really good that's coming now specifically what this this particular um references to is to christ himself Okay, but it's a reference to the law in general and specifically to the law that Christ himself fulfilled. Listen, listen again. So the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So whatever we see in the law, it's just a reflection of something that's good, that's coming. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So it never actually worked. Even though the sacrifices were offered year after year after year, the chief priests going into the temple and offering the blood of animals, right, for the remittance of sins of the nation of Israel to cleanse them from their guilt and their shame, the author's saying, like, it never worked. Nobody ever walked away from a butchered animal going, oh man, I feel free. Hallelujah, I'm free. No more guilt, no more shame. The law never worked. Verse 2 says this, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. And so what we understand about the law of the Old Testament, it was a foreshadowing of Christ who would come. Sometimes we look at what Jesus did on the cross and we see it like as the last ditch effort by God to fix things. And we don't recognize that it's actually the the effort from God. 
It was, it was, it was, the plan was written before the universe was created. This is the, the pinnacle of God saying, I'm going to rescue you. Anything else is just a reflection of that. It's not a, a, a last-ditch Hail Mary from God after a trying everything else. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. No, no, that's the reality. That's the good reality. Everything else is pointing to the cross, right? Every sacrifice is pointing to Jesus saying, we need a better sacrifice, right? Every shedding of blood moment was, was pointing forward to the cross saying, you need better blood. The blood of bulls and rams and goats and pigeons won't work. It won't cleanse you. It won't fix you. It won't redeem you. It won't reconcile you. You need a better sacrifice. Enter Jesus as the better sacrifice. And now today, this is really important. This is really important. The law of God is still a shadow of the good things that are to come. It is not an obstacle to be endured until heaven gets here. God's law is the social, relational, civil DNA of his kingdom. We don't step into eternity, and now all of a sudden the obstacles are gone, and God's like, oh, man, no more, no, no more laws. Right there, right, let me just read the Ten Commandments. Here, here we go. This is, the, this is what heaven will be like. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols for yourself. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbors and you shall not covet. That's what heaven will be like. Only room for one God a God whose name we won't take in vain, we won't profane, a God who, who won't have right, competition with false idols and small things. He will have all of our worship. I won't seek to murder you and you won't seek to murder me. That's good news, right? Don't we want God's law for all eternity? And so God's law, we see it go, this is leading us to what is good and it's a foreshadowing of the good things to come. We won't need the Ten Commandments written in stone or hanging from the wall of the courthouse in heaven. They'll be written now on your hearts. Man, that's good news. It's good news, which is now going to lead us to Jesus himself. I want to start with something Jesus said in his opening sermon. The best that we know, this was Jesus' first public sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, uh, begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And quickly after the Beatitudes, Jesus transitions, this is in Matthew 5, to a teaching on the law. And I'll be honest with you before I read, it's a really hard teaching. I kind of expect Jesus to show up and go, hey guys, I know this whole obeying the law thing has been really hard. Well, what if we do this? What if we soften it up a little bit and just make it easier? That's kind of what I expect Jesus to do. Like, hey, you guys can't, obviously can't obey the law, right? Since day one, you've been breaking it. So I'll tell you what, we'll just, we'll just make it easier on you. But that's not what he does. 
Look at, look at what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, obey them, fulfill everything that they require. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus is saying, hey, if that was your idea that the Messiah would come and soften the law, I haven't come to do that. I have not come to abolish the law. Matter of fact, not one punctuation mark will be removed from the law. I've actually come instead to fulfill it. And then look at what he says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they protect you and others from evil and they lead you and others to what is good. And then look at what he says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that feel heavy, daunting? It would be, except for what he said at the beginning. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Here's what Jesus is saying to you. The laws are a requirement. They feel heavy. I have come to fulfill all that the law requires of you. If you've never heard that before, would you listen, please? Everything God requires of you, everything, the do's and the do nots. Jesus came not just to obey it so he could be the good kid, but to say, listen, I'm gonna step into your place and I'm gonna fulfill all that is required of you. God's gonna take the requirement of you and put it on me and here's the good news. I'm not softening it, I'm not changing it. I'm gonna obey it perfectly on your behalf so that in the end, as a gift by faith, Jesus imputes his righteousness to us. You can't get into heaven on your own righteousness. You can't. Not one dot from the law has dropped off. You and I are still law breakers. Even if we can see it as good, protecting us from evil, leading us to what is good, we still won't be able to fulfill its requirements and obey it perfectly. And that's where Jesus steps in. I have come not to abolish it, but to fulfill it on your behalf. Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. How do you get that? Jesus says, Here's, there's only one whose righteousness has exceeded the scribes and Pharisees, and that's me, Jesus, and that's why he's giving you his righteousness. He's not bringing the requirements of the law down. If anything, he's bringing the requirements of the law up. Like a matter of fact, he's gonna go in and start teaching the law and he's gonna say, hey, you think you haven't murdered anybody just because you haven't pulled out your knife and stabbed somebody? I'll tell you the truth. If you've harbored hatred in your heart towards your brother or your sister, you've already committed murder. Like even the laws I thought I was obeying, I haven't been obeying. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, any man who has looked lustfully upon a woman, he's already committed adultery in his heart. (sighs) 
So not only does he not decrease the law, in some ways he elevates it. And he's like, hey, there's no way your righteousness can exceed the scribes and Pharisees. And that's why I'm going to fulfill it for you. That's why I've come to fulfill it for you. Man, that's good news. James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall not love, or you, sorry, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. So if you can actually do that, you're doing well. But if you show partiality and are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors, forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. If you break one piece of it, you've broken all of it. So on the onset, you just kind of first glance, James and Jesus are like telling you some really bad news. Dang. And just when I was getting my hopes up, I mean, I finally decided to come to church today, and now you're telling me I can't get into heaven. Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to read two more verses. This is the good news. Verse 3. Remember how the law didn't work? Butchering animals wouldn't, didn't work? Didn't fix anything? Listen to verse 3 of Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law couldn't fix you. The law couldn't redeem you. The law couldn't reconcile you. So God has done what the law could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to what? Fulfill it. And I'm going to fulfill it in you. Those of us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the final thing we'll talk about this morning. The law reveals our deep need of the gospel. And even though it can't fix us, it still leads us to what is good. The law is a gift. It's a gift that awakens us by opening up our eyes and softening our hearts to reveal our deep need to be reconciled to God and to be rescued from sin and death. The law shows you, shows me, our neediness. And the gospel invites you to take that neediness to God. Because without the gospel, you're just left in your neediness desperate broken without hope and so the first half of the gospel is hey things are broken things are broken in the world things are broken in you and the righteous requirement to get into heaven by obeying God's law just like Adam and Eve you've broken it too the second half of the gospel is that Christ has come to fulfill the, the demands of the law in you and in me on our behalf that by faith we would have this righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift. 
when you step into heaven, you will do so by the gift of Jesus' righteousness. And I don't know that we can fully, on this side of that moment, grasp the magnitude of that gift. But in that moment, you will know, I don't deserve to be here, and yet I get to be here. In my own merit, in my own striving to obey the law, I don't deserve to be here. But by the gift of Jesus, I get to be here. And nothing can separate me from that gift. That's how Romans 8 ends. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That gift has been given to you in Christ, and it is secure, kept in heaven for you as an inheritance. That's good news, church. That's good news. So I want to end here today. I don't know... Where, where every person in this room is, I, I do believe that for most of us, we need God to redeem our perspective of his law, to kind of show us, no, actually, this is what the law is. It's not an obstacle to keep you from getting what you want. It's actually the pathway to what is good. And, and, and I hope God has done that in some way in your hearts today. But there may, be, there may be more going on in you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing brokenness to the surface and Right? And maybe it started in the songs that we were singing and it just hasn't gone away and you need to talk with somebody. You need to have somebody pray with you. That's what our prayer partners are for. So as we close up today, just right now, if that's you, just make a commitment. I'm not gonna talk myself out of it today. I'm gonna go talk to a prayer partner and have them pray over me today. As always, our elders will be out in, in the commons. Before I pray, just some questions to think about. How do you feel when you know that you've broken God's law? What's that feeling that comes up? I don't have to say it out loud, just what does it feel like to know God said do this or don't do that and then you did it or didn't do it anyway? And what is that emotion that you feel? What, what, do you, what comes out of that? And then the next question, and really just as important, what do you do with that? Do you see Jesus in his kindness, saying to you, please bring that to me. Bring me that heavy burden. Can you see Jesus that way? Or is he like the mean principal at school? And if you're a principal at a school, you're not mean, but we all had that mean principal at school. Do you feel like Jesus is calling you into the principal's office? Slap the back of your hand, give you a punishment for what you've done, and tell you don't do it again? That's not the invitation of the gospel. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are labored, weary, and heavy burden, I'll give you rest. So what do you do with the burden of knowing you've broken God's law? Maybe for you today, you're like, I just, okay, I'm on board for all of that, but I can't see where it leads me to what is good. Maybe that's where your struggle is today. Just encourage you to spend time as we sing this next song thinking about that. God, what good are you trying to lead me to? How does your law lead me to what is good? And then just end with this. If you've come here today and you heard me talking about righteousness as a gift from Jesus, and you're like, I want that. How do I get that? Then please, oh please, grab a prayer partner, grab an elder, grab a pastor, and say, I want that. Whatever that thing is he was talking about, up on, I want that. This forgiveness, this righteousness, I want that. I want to know that when I step out of this life, I will step into the eternal presence of God and it will be secured for me. How do I get that? We call this salvation. So would you grab one of us today?
Let me pray over you, and uh, our worship team is going to come back out, and we'll respond. Father, thank you for your law. God, it truly is good. Uh, more to be precious than, than fine gold. More to be sought after than the greatest riches, the greatest possessions, the sweetest honey. Father, we confess, I confess, God, just how skewed my perspective has been towards you and your commands in my Christian journey. So many times, God, I hear your commands, I read your commands, and then I see you as as an angry dad who's just waiting on me to screw up. Just confess that, God. That is not who you are. Father, I want to exchange that today. Maybe somebody else today wants to do that as well, just to exchange that. To see your laws and your rules and your commands as these beautiful gifts that protect us from evil and lead us to what is good and ultimately give us this beautiful image of you as this benevolent, kind, warm, inviting, loving Father who wants nothing more than to be reconciled in relationship with his children. Father, may we see you that way today. May we run to you that way today. May we pray to you that way today. You are a good, good father. We know this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.